Hello, everybody, and welcome to the TeacherCast Educational Broadcasting Network. My name is Jeff Bradbury. Thank you so much for joining us today and making TeacherCast your home for professional development. Tonight, we're going to be celebrating the 2017 edition of Computer Science Education Week. And, of course, it is time to celebrate that very infamous Hour of Code. We've got three great guests on to talk about the Hour of Code, coding and programming. But most importantly, we're going to talk about how you can create lessons in classrooms that aren't necessarily... STEM related, we're going to make sure that we have all the different things that we have to create a great lesson and then distribute it into Google Classroom. Uh, welcoming onto our program today, our coding expert, Sam Patterson. Sam, how are you today? How are things out in California? Things in California are great other than the fires. What's going on there? Well, there's three large wildfires that are not close but near enough that the sky is really gray, full of smoke. And that's, you know, mildly psychologically disturbing. Oh, is it close by? Uh, close enough. Ooh. I don't want it to be closer. If the lighting changes in here and I go away, that's why. I uh, will certainly understand that. From one coast to the other, Rob Pennington, how are you today? I am doing fabulous. How about you, Jeff? I am doing well. We are fully into the hour of code. I, I believe the hour this year is lasting about seven days or so. Um, are you celebrating the hour of code, my friend? We are. Every day this week, we have students uh, participating from kindergarten to fifth grade. Every student in the school is participating in the hour of code. We've had some really good conversations and you know, it's been a great first two days, and I'm looking forward to the rest of the week. That is pretty cool. And today I was going through the Hour of Code, and I was asking myself, where is Josh? And all I had to do was look at my Twitter account. Josh, how are you today? Josh is excellent, Jeff. Thanks for asking. And uh, do you have a coding fact of the day? Uh, yes, I do. Uh, the term debugging, which we use to solve problems in code, actually was originated by the fact that early uh, devices needed to be physically debugged because bugs would get in the system and make it stop working, so they'd have to go find them and pull them out. That is actually an interesting uh, feat there. Sam, did you, did you know that? I actually thought that it was pronounced debugging. Ah, Interesting. So, no, I didn't know that. As we lose all of our live listeners. Today, we're going to be talking about the hour of code, and we're going to be talking about programming and bringing it into your classroom. Before we get into that, I do want to make a quick announcement. As we said at the beginning of the show, this is our last live episode of 2017. We are going to be coming back at you guys with full force in 2018. We have some pretty awesome news. Uh, TeacherCast is going through a little bit of a metamorphosis right now. We're going to be rebranding. We're going to be getting a brand new logo. Looking forward to sharing all of these great things. Uh, made a couple decisions a few months ago right around the uh, Halloween area that uh, it's time. And so we've actually been working with a developer and a designer and have a brand new logo coming out, brand new website, brand new everything. Um, we've even got some brand new podcasts coming out. Um, looking forward to a great 2018 Um and I'm really looking forward to it. Sam, you, you've been through this with me a few times here. Of course, you know, my paperless classroom, a, a world famous top 50 blog, um, is going to be a part of this brand new transition. Um, I'm excited about it, aren't you? I'm really excited about it because nothing stays the same 
You know, we don't we don't teach the same classes we taught last year. Even if I have the same idea in the lesson, it always is getting updated. So, you know, it's just as necessary to keep changing how we work with other people to try to be as useful and relevant as possible. So what we've been doing for the last few weeks is we've been going through all, I think we're over 700 or so podcasts right now on the TeacherCast network. And um, it's going through and figuring out what what is still relevant, what is not relevant. And Sam, the one thing I've realized is we have done quite a few shows that celebrate the hour of code. And I'm looking at this. We had a minute. For every show we've done about the hour of code, we could fill a week. We could fill at least an hour. I will tell you all of that stuff. Um, it, it does what makes me ask the question: Why are we still here? Right? Like it's two thousand. Apparently, a lot of people who are watching us live are asking that question. But the the, the thing is, well, don't why, ask that out loud. Why, <laughs> why? Sorry, Peggy. Why are we still celebrating the hour of code? Shouldn't we be past this at this point? You know, and and yes, right? Like, but at the same time, we could ask that question about so many issues these days. Puppets. But the compelling thing about the hour of code is it's, you know, a, what? It's a, it's a uh, media event kind of, right? It's and a publicity It's a media stunt. event that's been orchestrated by, you know, individuals to highlight an important movement in education and to try to insinuate that further into education and get conversations started about that. And all of that seems really appropriate because computer science isn't, you know, it it is an elective in our world of education. Is it? It, it is like at best it's like an AP class, but a lot of schools don't have, you know, a computer, there isn't like a national computer science curriculum. Some countries like England or Estonia, and I believe now China, have a national curriculum of computer science education. But but I got to ask the question. Something and, we have. And, and, you know, Rob, Josh, feel free to jump in here. Is it an elective, right? We're not saying this week we're going to celebrate the hour of code in my STEM class. We're saying we're going to take a moment, no matter where we are, and teach something that's done with coding. Can we bring coding into science, into social studies, into English? Are there ways to do that? Now, I mean, we don't have to necessarily hash this topic because trust me, we've done it so many times here. But Josh, what do you think? Is it, I mean, as a tech coach, do you try to bring STEM or robotics or coding into non-STEM classes? Please say yes. To an extent. Thank you. Uh, I think definitely the idea of STEM getting out into the curriculum has been a district-wide push. We actually purchased a subscription to a site called Define STEM that has Common Core aligned activities and projects and units that have STEM concepts embedded, but that you can use to also meet your ELA standards and things like that. So we've done a lot of work with that. Um, We also have done Hour of Code in the past, um, and we've started to get away from that, and I haven't pushed it as much. I I, I mention it, but I don't really do a lot of, like, we must do the Hour of Code because all of our kids ages K through 8 will have access sometime during each of those years to programming, to to a more 
somewhat aligned curriculum of programming where they will get exposure to all of that from kindergarten all the way through eighth grade. And then from that point on into high school, which is a building I don't work at, but um, they have a bunch of programming classes. Yes, they're electives, uh, but the hope is that with the exposure they get, um, they'll lead up there. That being said, every year in the Hour of Code comes out, um, I do send out something to the staff, but I think it's moved from me directing it to empowering the teachers to say, we've done this. You know what this is now. If, you know, everybody has, even though, you know, we're always very busy, there's always those times because it's an early release day or it's, you know, the end of the, right before holiday break and kids are crazy. No, let's, right, right. I think computer science education week was set up long before this and that's why they put hour of code there. But, you know, I was thinking quite cynically today about how much of the code.org's buy-in is because it's like, hey, teachers, we'll give you an hour of, you know, kid-directed activity that you don't have to do much of anything with in the two weeks before holiday break. <laughs> I, I think there's something to that. But sometimes magical things happen. Uh, one of our social studies and science teachers in seventh grade, uh, they just read Long Walk to Water as a class. I don't know if that was a global read-aloud book this year or not, um, but I know they did it. So she's been for you know, a couple of years now, been like, I really want to do something with programming with these kids. I just don't know what to do. We talked about spherals last year, but we couldn't get the logistics of it quite right. Um, and then she's like, I wonder what we could do with, with this. And I'm like, well, I bet we could use Scratch. I mean, there's a journey this, this person takes. Could we have the backdrop be the map? And then you make a sprite of the character. And then, you know, that's a really like low floor, high ceiling activity because students can just make it so that the character, the sprite just glides or they can make it so there's player control, maybe there's things to interact with. Um, and this teacher kind of just running with it. She asked another teacher, a computer literacy teacher for some pointers. I sent her some tutorial things that I had made uh, and I think she's gonna run with it and they're gonna do this project for Hour of Code that also connects back to this book that they read uh, that connects to their social studies unit. So- No, um, no, don't, don't even dare to think about moving on from that because I want to I want to drill down a little bit into this so anybody listening can get a sense of how accessible this is. What platform are you guys working on at school? Chromebooks. Excellent. So you guys are using the online scratch portal scratch.mit.edu. Mm -hmm. Do they have a class account set up because I set up a teacher account for myself last year and I have been so happy with it. So those accounts have been awesome. I think just because right now it's going to be like a quick project, I think we'll just do the make like one account or have her make an account and have all the students log in under that. Excellent. And if they had their own account, one of the things you could do is you could, uh, what I do with my students is we all have individual accounts and we have a school studio. So I put the starter program in the school studio and they can copy from there. And then they can all post their individual programs in that same studio. And then we're going to be using that studio as kind of a social media training ground because they can get to other people's work also. So we're going to talk about what we share, how we respond, et cetera. So we're going to use kind of this experience of creating an all about me animation that's in the studio and exporting it. Now, are they, do you know, are they going to do a common background or a common map or anything? to get the kids started? Yep, it's going to be 
like you said, it's going to be the starter project with the background. And they want to say we want to have the sprite created ahead of time just so they don't spend so much time doing that. And then from there, it's it's theirs. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, that's really great because the as a teacher, you have to think about what is the student's experience of doing this project going to be. And if they have a starter program with the basic mechanics in place, the student's focus immediately goes to what does the character need to do in order to satisfy the requirements of the story? So they're working through the significant events in the story, the sequence of events, and how events relate to each other. And that's a level of cognitive complexity that you're bringing to this activity where they're not only applying what they understand, but the act of kind of organizing it creates a greater understanding. Sam, we're going to talk today a little bit about different projects. You have been uh, gracious enough to share with us three different projects. And and one of the questions that I find teachers are asking me in my school district and, and also I see on Twitter is, how do I package this? How, how do I take the I'm afraid of coding and how do I get rid of the I'm afraid of and just make coding part of your group? I mean, I, I had a fun time today in one of the uh, elementary schools today. We were just using the doodle um, on Google.com to teach some coding things. I actually had a teacher come over to me and she says, is that all that coding is? It looks really simple. And I said, yeah, that's that that really is the basis of where everything starts from here. Um so You're like, no, look at Python. Blah. Right, right, right. I, I, I opened up, you know, the behind the scenes of, you know, Microsoft Word and showed them all the, the, the matrix code. Sam, talk right. to us about one project that anybody, even even you out there listening to this, anybody can bring into their classroom. Well, you know, the, the, the first one we, we touched on just now, I think that's one anybody could do in their classroom where you take uh, uh, something that you've all read and you use coding as an opportunity to express about it, right? Whether it's creating an animation or kind of an animated uh, timeline. Another good one, believe it or not, like when I started in coding, when I looked at everything, I said, oh, there's like app-based programming and there's computer-based programming. And then there's that crazy Arduino stuff with the wires and the breadboards, and I don't even get that, right? The first thing I'm opening up with here tonight, Jeff, is that anyone, as long as your kids can read like third grade and above, can learn Arduino programming and breadboarding with no equipment using Tinkercad.com. Okay, so let's pretend that we're new to this and we're driving in our car. What's an Arduino? An Arduino is a tiny computer. It is the size of your mouse on your computer, let's say, and often said the size of a credit card or something. And it is a very simple computer that you can hook up things like LEDs and temperature sensors and motors and whatnot to. I'm simplifying a bit here. And bre- um, breadboarding is the thing that we don't want to have happen to other people? Breadboarding is actually not a CIA interrogation technique. It is a way to quickly connect wires to each other. And the breadboard in breadboarding is a chunk of white plastic with a bunch of rows that have little holes in them that are wire sized. And you can use the structure of this board to essentially push fit wires together quickly. Most modern electronics kits 
do prototyping with a breadboard. So if you were going to design a child detector, let's say you had a bunch of children, like a crazy number. I don't know. Three, three. And right. And you wanted to kind of keep track of how many were in a certain room at any time. You could put like a, a, uh, what an electric beam, little laser light across the door. And every time that got tripped, the Arduino could say, oh, that's been tripped and it could, you know, raise a counter and kind of flash a light and maybe shock you with an electrode or something. But, you know, that would be a custom programming solution that you would make. And you would create a program that said, when this light is tripped, then sound the alarm, right? Got it. So the Arduino is the little thing that holds the programming and controls the electricity to make things like that happen. They're really cool for helping kids create simple inventions or hack toys or something like that. Um, and they also do a pretty good job of practical circuit building experience. So if you want students to understand electrical circuits, this is another great way to do that. And Tinkercad has a tutorial that puts you in an Arduino and breadboarding simulation where you have all of the pieces that you can use and you can build and test things in this environment before actually building them and testing them. This is great because even though Arduino is a low cost microcontroller, it's not free. So you don't want to like wreck a bunch of them because you don't know what you're doing and just let the kids loose on them. But putting them through kind of this Arduino trainer can help you identify which of the kids really get and understand this and which of them are going to need a lot more support. So my first project, anyone can learn Arduino and breadboarding with Tinkercad. You, you failed to mention the one thing that's on everybody's mind here, which is how much does this stuff cost? Tinkercad is free. I have free accounts for all of my students. They have to verify an email. But other than that, I can, using their educator setup, you can create student accounts that are underneath yours and moderated by yours. I can see what they're doing. I can go directly to my students' accounts. Um, it's a really good teacher dashboard, and it's free because uh, Autodesk, which is the owner of Tinkercad, is, supports education. Sweet. All right. So the second thing that we're going to be talking about today, uh, Sam, apparently involves your digestive system. Not only mine. Rob's digestive system. Just kind of the digestive system. The digestive system. Yes. And and this is the kind of thing where like, okay, this is a little STEMI, right? Because the digestive system, it's, you know, part of science. It's also part of who we are. And it's a really good example to how we can take an activity where maybe we made a poster about the digestive system before. Using a makey makey, you can connect that poster to Scratch. And every time you touch the colon, um, every time you touch the pancreas, you could have a little recording play about the function of the pancreas and what it does. What if you're teaching those same babies that you're trying to train with the Arduino to empty their colons? You really probably want to go analog on that because oh. just trying to create a watertight environment, I'm no batteries no so the third thing that we can talk about is to uh look at some different uh, what, what street well, arts well, well, before before we blast past the digestive i i, I wanted right? to make we sure that we we're keeping this pg you like that blast past did you catch that uh-huh 
Yeah, I okay. got it. Um, in, the sh- in, <laughs> in the show notes, we have a link to a tweet because I, I heard about this Twitter thing, right? And it, it is pretty cool. I saw this example of a digestive system model online today uh, by Miss Kelly Knight. And uh, it's such a great example of taking something that we're probably already basically doing and using programming as a way to give students more of a genuine opportunity to express what they understand. And you get to do it in a novel way because Scratch has all kinds of animations open up to it. So, you know, I've had students build video games about the digestive system before, and that was a hoot. I can only imagine what they do with animation powers. But what a great idea to use the Makey Makey to to incorporate that feature. I think, you know, Makey Makey, go ahead. For those of you who don't know, the Makey Makey is another small microcontroller. And the main thing it does is it imitates a keyboard. So you can create little switches out of pieces of tinfoil or whatever, or Play-Doh or bananas. If you've seen a banana piano, it was with a Makey Makey usually. Um, to, and then you can define those touch points as different keys. So in Scratch, you would then say when the K key is pressed, and the K key is actually a foil letter K that you made on the desk or whatever. Um, sorry, go ahead. No, I just think that, you know, taking that little switch and incorporating it into this educational type activity is like what the ultimate goal in, in my opinion. Yeah. That board lets you marry the digital and the analog, right? So it's right there. It's not a solitary screen activity. It's not just a desktop paper pen activity. It's a combination of the two. And that's where our students live. And it, uh, it allows for that critical thinking to go even to a, another step. You know, it More time takes, than task. looking at, uh, at the science and making the poster is great or the, you know, the little digestive system that they're making, but to then be able to infuse the critical thinking of, okay, I wanted to, if I hit the K button, this is going to happen. Well, okay, now what's going to happen? And so now they're taking not just what, what does this part of the body do, but they're actually even going deeper with it and they're infusing some of that. And I think that that just takes this, like, if we're looking at it from, you know, a Bloom's level, it just takes it even up a notch. Right. Right. Like, what does it mean to have enzymes attack the proteins in the stomach and release, you know, these different things? Like, how, wh- where does that happen? What does that oh, look like? I, I know exactly how it happens that. and exactly what it looks like, Sam. Then you are prepared to teach programming. Oh, am I? <laughs> <laughs> times three. Right? Um, Good times. You know, the, uh, but, but, you know, the question here still stands. Some of this stuff seems pretty easy. Some of this stuff seems kind of intimidating for tech coaches like myself, tech coaches like Josh. How how do we continue to say, no, 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 this is easy. This isn't intimidating. Try something. Um, You just might find it interesting or find it easy for yourself. But Jeff, go ahead. 
I was going to say that's why the role of a tech coach or a, ste- a STEM teacher or a library media specialist is so important because right there, a, a teacher will, they have a lot on their plate, right? And even though they might like this, this is, this could be very overwhelming and this could be, oh no, oh no. And they need someone to, one, support, two, provide ideas, three, really be the, the cheerleader as well. And I think that, you know, we you started the show talking about we, this has been going on a while, but we still have the hour of code. And is it still something new? And I think in many places, you see one teacher or two teacher who really believes in it, incorporating it into their classroom. And it's only in that pocket, we only see those pockets of innovation in small places. And it's, I think that the role of the, you know, the tech coach, they're the ones that can help to spread that um, into more places. And it, it comes down to building relationships with people, trust, working with them. Uh, that's just, uh, I think that that's how we can make this spread. And then once they have success with it, then they're, they're willing to try it again. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of, we get to that gradual release model. It seems like there's always several places to find these resources. And, and Sam, I want to ask you here, because I know in your particular position right now, you're working in a STEM field where you're doing projects and you might have multi steps for that project. Many of us are starting to work on things like playlists and and STEM projects where these are multi-step things. The question often asks, if I'm a teacher and I'm expected to be doing STEM and expected to be doing Google, and most school districts are expected to be doing Google Classroom, how can these things merge together? How can I use Google Classroom to make my coding, programming, STEM life easier? Well, you know, I, I don't know. Um, but let me tell you this in the last week, I built 160 stuffed animals and I did it for our school program and I did it with the kids help. And some classes I had fewer stuffed animals at the end of the class than I had basically at the beginning of the class because the kids helped so hard. But I did learn a couple things about using Google, Google classroom and helping kids stay on track and stay organized. Building a stuffed animal has a bunch of individual steps and they're actually discrete steps. And because I knew what the end of this thing looked like, I could organize the whole thing. Side note, I don't know what the end of most of my classes look like. We can talk about that in another show if you want to. I believe it's good planning because student empowered, blah, blah, blah. This, instead of being a process-based class, was a product-based class because I wanted them to get the stuffy done. So what I did was I gave them each a slideshow that had one direction per slide. And after each direction was another direction about what evidence to post on that slide of that direction. So it was like, trace the pattern on the back of the fabric. Then it said, post a a photo showing that you've traced the pattern and that it is indeed the back of the fabric, right? So instead of putting these in a list in a document, which I've done before, on the board, which I've done before, I put them one at a time on a slide with a corresponding action from the kid also dictated on the slide. 
it worked pretty well. My third graders, not the strongest direction readers in the world, but they were able to track what they were supposed to do, even though some of the steps were hard and they couldn't remember where they were when they finished. It sounds like a nice organized way of using things. Rob, I noticed uh, there's a few different ways that people are using Classroom. How are you recommending your teachers using Classroom in and out of the STEM world? Um, I think it comes down to, you know, their, how, how comfortable they are using Classroom. I have mainly in my older grades, teachers are using it to sh- share links, share ideas. It's really become a, a great place to, you know, if we're working on a project and they wanted certain websites for them to go to, that is the place where they're doing it. They're just sending it out so that they can log in the classroom and they have everything they need for a project. Um, differentiation, I've seen, you know, an assignment that has group A, group B, and group C, and they, they, ha- they click on their document and that gives them the activity that they're going to work on. So I, I've seen a lot of different ways that classroom has been used. Um, you know, obviously writing assignments, I see it a lot where they can just quick share with the whole class. That's probably um, the number one way teachers have used it because it is when it comes to being intuitive, Google Classroom does that. It's there's not a lot of buttons. There's not a lot of ways to get lost, but there's also a lot of deeper ways that I think over time we get we get into. Um, I just don't know. I haven't seen it used that deep yet. Josh, how about yourself? Are there ways that you're recommending classroom being used in their, in your school or is everybody kind of on their own as far as how to implement the tool? I uh, definitely highly recommend that everybody uses it just because we are a Google app school. It makes it so easy to distribute documents and links, especially, you know, when you're trying to get students to certain places, uh, we just had a teacher who uh, emailed me uh, and they were going to be out. And so they're looking for some of the hour of code activities that the students could do while they were gone, which I mean, I guess is a good sub activity at the same time. It's like, hey, you're really, it'd be cool if you were there for that to, to witness that. Uh, uh, but like that's a situation where, okay, you could send them to code.org slash learn and have them pick something out of the bajillion different activities they have out there, some of which might require them to log in, some of which might require them to download something that they can't because they're on a Chromebook. Uh, So I had sent her some specific ones I recommended, um, and that would be a great use of Classroom to say, hey, you know, pick one of these, boom, here you go, um, and use that. I would say a majority of our teachers use it in some way. I think it's used much less in math classrooms uh, because so much of what they do is done uh, on a, you know, on hard copy uh, with that. Um, but but I, I definitely recommend they get their students out there. Just, you know, have it because there's certain things that it's going to be so much easier because they're already in classroom. Um, there are certain tools you might want to use that you can just port all your kids into because they're already in classroom. Um, and yeah, like the sharing of resources, uh, when students are gone, when you're gone, um, I, I think we often overlook that completely that, you know, when students are gone and when we're gone and how we can make that experience better. Um, so we, we try and, and give out some general pointers about Google Classroom. I think the big thing um, overall for us is if you're not using Google Classroom, you should be posting the things you're doing somewhere. Um, so if our 
our math teachers all have sites that they are posting the assignments, resources, and things like that. Um, and so that's kind of where we're at in our buildings. You know, guys, I, I think after doing a show like this or a show similar to this over the last six years, I think it's obvious that it, it you know, Hour of Code is here. We've got a lot of different ways. I, I love that Sam always, every single year, brings something different. I mean, a hundred and something not, not puppets. What, what did you say you made, Sam? 160 stuffies. Stuffies. You know, little stuffed animals. Stuffed animals. We've got this really great Tyrannosaurus Rex, who I think it might be the new My Paperless Classroom mascot. I don't know about that. <laughs> anyway, there's a lot of great things going on. Um, you guys might have been looking at TeacherCast recently and seeing that we've been doing something different with our show notes. Um, what we've been doing now for every single episode is asking you guys a question. We want to hear from you. We want to start a conversation on the website. Uh, the question for this week is, in what ways can you guys use Google Classroom to bring STEM and STEM subjects into your classroom and with your students? We'd love to hear from you guys. Check it out. Um, again, Thank you guys for a great 2017. We did some amazing things. We had some great guests on, some great shows happening, and a lot more stuff for 2018. Brand new website, brand new logo. Um, there was a question in our chat box today asking, when are we coming back? Honestly, I don't have the answer yet because I want to make sure that we have the website and everything up and running. So um, last show for the season, that, that's not the last show that we're going to be doing. In fact, tomorrow we're going to be recording a show uh, kind of STEM-related, guys, but with Lego education. We're going to be talking about how to use some of the Lego products in the uh, in the younger grades. And so we're going to be having a good time with that. And we're going to be continuing to record some of our pre-recorded stuff that will go up on our new website when it hits. Guys, thank you. And for everybody out there, have a happy holidays and continue sharing your passions, guys, with your students. Good night, everybody.